0: I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, well, first of all, thank you. You know there are a few topics I've been a bit obsessed with lately. One is 1968 and Vietnam and understanding what we can learn from that year in particular when our country and our families were torn apart daily. Another is the question of justice and my worry that it's being confused, intentionally perhaps, with politics. Today we add religion to the list. If we want to understand just how divided the country is, and if we want to consider whether it will ever be repaired, we better dig deeper into the relationship of religion and politics. One question? How do evangelicals today reconcile their true beliefs and politics? That question obviously was front and center in Roy Moore's recent Alabama Senate campaign. The one where multiple women said when they were girls, the evangelical Moore acted in ways that were, to put it charitably, unchristian. But there may be no leader in a higher role to reconcile his religious beliefs and political actions more regularly, hourly even, than the current U.S. vice president. Mike Pence is pretty clear about his religious points of view. You saw that he won't eat a meal alone with a woman. But his boss is Donald Trump. So how does he do it? That's what McKay Coppins wanted to learn. McKay, you surely know, is an excellent staff writer at The Atlantic, and his must-read piece titled God's Plan for Mike Pence provides insights into the balance between evangelicals' beliefs and political actions, particularly Pence's. As McKay writes, quote, "...because God works in mysterious ways, or at the very least has a postmodern sense of humor, it was Donald J. Trump, gracer of Playboy covers, the lighter of Shock Jock's collector of mistresses, who descended from the mountaintop in the summer of 2016, GOP presidential nomination in hand, offering salvation to both Pence and the religious right." So what is God's plan for Mike Pence? That's what I asked McKay Coppins. But before my conversation with McKay, one last item. You know I've been making an ask on these podcasts. I hope you like these conversations. And if so, I'd appreciate if you take a moment, go to iTunes, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. The ratings really matter, and I deeply thank everyone who has done it. It's really heartening to see the numbers climb. As always, though, my parallel ask, if you don't like the conversations, just forget I ever mentioned it. Okay, that's it. Here's my conversation with McKay Coppins. McKay, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. So uh, God's plan for Mike Pence. Uh, what, what, what's the plan? <laughs> We're all wondering.
1: <laughs> well, unfortunately, I did not get an interview with uh, with God. So, I, well, I I, can't if anyone exactly,
0: yeah, if anyone's <laughs> getting that one, though, I mean, you're the guy, right? I mean, you've got the <laughs>
1: I, well, I would hope so. I, I, I've been trying to get access my whole life. Um, no, so the the story, the thing that made me interested in Mike Pence originally was I think the thing that a lot of people have wondered about Mike Pence, which is, you know, he professes to be, and by all accounts is, a man of genuine devotion and faith. He grew up uh, Catholic, um, converted to evangelical Christianity in college, and, and by all accounts this has been uh, at the core of his identity, at the core of kind of who he is. Um, but then, you know, how, the, the question that everyone seems to ask, or at least a lot of people ask, and certainly the question I had, which is how, how does he reconcile his faith, his Christian ideals, with some of the things that he has to do and say uh, as Donald Trump's number two guy, as his, his obedient deputy, right? Because it's not as if Mike Pence uh, has very often shown that he's uncomfortable with, uh, you know, being Donald Trump's vice president. He He's out there every day basically uh you know fawning over trump saying how great he is how it's a privilege of a lifetime to serve him uh you know saying that he's a man of faith a man of great decency and uh, you know and often is called upon by this administration to say uh to to kind of clean up trump's messes uh in ways that cannot be very dignified so I, the question i had coming into this is how does he reconcile it and what i found was that for all of Mike Pence's kind of folksiness and ah and, uh, shucks humility that he, he performs, he actually is a man of serious ambition. And, and a lot of the people who I've talked to know him. Uh, say that he's more calculating than he lets on, and his ambition is kind of mixed up and entangled in his personal faith in ways that I, I found really compelling and interesting.
0: Well, so one can, though, obviously be extremely religious and and observant across you know a range of religions, and 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 still be. Um, uh, very driven and still be very ambitious mm-hmm. but but what you describe and, and truly i mean th- that word reconciliation I mean that is what was just going through my mind, reading the whole thing that still doesn't mean you know are you then you know is it then a true reconciliation is one you know one avenue true i you know one is ambitious and not observant how how does it explain? Mm-hmm the reconciliation, because, you know, as you point out, you know, he's doing a bunch of things that would uh, seem to go against, uh, you know, some of his beliefs. That's what it appears, at least.
1: Yeah, so that, I mean, that's the question. The, the thing about, uh, yeah, first of all, let, let me, yeah, I agree with that caveat, that of course, all kinds of religious people have been ambitious and driven. and And you can find examples throughout history of you know, monstrous things being done and truly heroic things, some of humanity's greatest achievements uh, being done in the name of faith. So, you know, it the, it certainly is not, uh, it, it's not yeah. as if uh, being a religious person, believing in God, uh, sh- you know, precludes you from trying to do great things yeah. and, and achieve great heights. Of course not. And, and even in politics, we see people of faith on both sides of the spectrum, um who, who use their faith to propel them forward. But, you know, I think the thing about Mike Pence is he believes that he was called uh, – he was called to politics, that this is, you know, God's plan for him, uh, that he can achieve God's will and, and serve his fellow man, serve God uh, by – by being in politics. That's not necessarily an uncommon belief among people of faith who go into politics, but the the risk that you run is that when you believe so strongly that uh your uh, that that god 's will is for you to be the President or to be the Vice President or whatever to achieve great power it starts to become easier and easier to compromise to uh, you know set aside your ideals or your ethics or your moral beliefs uh, in pursuit of that power because you believe it 's ultimately justified um, the uh, the uh, i uh, the line that I have in in the piece toward the end is that you know, no one should be afraid or worried that that Pence believes in God. What they should be worried about is that he seems so certain that God believes in him. And that that was the biggest through line I had throughout this piece, was that uh, he, he like, frankly, the religious right movement, or at least large swaths of it, have become so consumed with the belief that their their agenda is, you know, God- God-approved, is divinely approved, that they're willing to comprom- make compromises and cozy up to decidedly ungodly people and political leaders to make that happen. And, and I think that it's a, it presents an interesting uh, dilemma that I think millions of conservative Christians now are facing.
0: Do, do they feel – is there a – to an outsider, um, some might call that hypocritical, is there, sure. is there any sense of that when, when you talk with, you know, with folks in, in that, that area? Do they, do they sense that? Do they feel like, well, you know, everyone's gotta give a little if you believe that you're part of God's plan and, and, you know, your, your through line there on, on Pence that, you know, God's plan for him. Um, is there any sense that, well, I, you know, I got to do some things. I might have to hold my nose a little bit, but it's okay because it's all for the greater good. Or, you know, it, yes, right. That's it.
1: That, well, yes, that is that, That's generally the argument. But I, I want to talk about this idea of hypocrisy because that is the most obvious. Yeah. Uh, you know, the most obvious takeaway, right? Is and, and I think a lot to of be fair, have, just a, qu-
0: a question. I mean, it, it, it feels to an no, outsider. No, no, yeah, 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 I'm not. Yeah. I'm
1: not even, uh, and I'm not saying it's unfair at all. I mean, this is kind of the assumption that I've had and a lot of people have had observing Mike Pence, right, that, oh, he's just a hypocrite, you know, like so many people before him and, you know, who who profess to be pious and and, uh, and religious people, they, when push comes to shove and they're presented with a difficult situation, they always end up uh, doing the hypocritical thing that is most in their self-interest as opposed to following their ideals and principles. I think there is some of that, but I also – I cite a uh, a a really fascinating set of polls by the Public Religion Research Institute that shows that there is a general movement, a general uh, kind of cultural. Political shift going on in the conservative evangelical community in this country uh, that helps illustrate how these people m- are willing to make this uh, compromise and justify what we would see as hypocrisy. So in 2011, uh, one, a poll found that only 30% of white evangelicals believed that an elected official who commits an immoral act in their personal life can still behave ethically and fulfill their duties in their public and professional life so only 30% of white evangelicals believe that the overwhelming number of white evangelicals in this country who are mostly conservative said you know character counts right that that private morality is essential in assessing the worthiness of a politician or public figure. By 2016, when Donald Trump was running for president, that number had risen to 72%, which actually means that white evangelicals in America are more tolerant of immorality in their public officials and their elected officials uh, than the average American is. So how how did that happen? I Robert P. Jones, who heads the uh, Public Religion Re- Research Institute, told me that this is a sea change in evangelical ethics, uh, that it's a basically they moved to an ends justified the means uh, style of politics that would have been unthinkable, you know, just a couple of years ago. Why did this happen? You know, there are a lot of theories. Obviously, a big part of it is. Is just Donald Trump loyalty to Donald Trump, and a lot of conservative Christians saying, "Well, look, he's not—he's not a righteous man in his private life. He's—he's he's obviously cheated on wives and uh, and lived a very colorful sort of past. But uh, you know, he's on our side, so we're willing to support him. And maybe we need to rethink how we're approaching politicians. But but beyond that, I talked to Russell Moore of the Southern Baptist Convention, who said that. Uh, you know, there's been this very dramatic shift in the culture wars over the past just decade or so, where conservative Christians who felt like they were on the offensive for years and even decades suddenly have, you know, been losing ground on a lot of their key issues from uh, gay marriage to uh, to religious freedom issues they they see a culture kind of slipping away from them and uh, and, and are are terrified frankly, and you know basically saw Donald Trump as not an, a moral exemplar but as a champion as a bodyguard, somebody who would just stand in front of them and protect them and uh, you know that kind of desperation and urgency may or may not be justified. I mean, I think the average white evangelical is probably doing a lot better than other segments of the country, but it is how they feel. It is the sense that they have of the country, and that explains how they're willing to rationalize uh, a lot of the the things they do in the political arena now.
0: That urgency, I think, is so important for all of us to understand. And and just to, you know to be clear, and as you are, you you you. I asked the question about hypocrisy. Does it feel that way? Um but I gotta tell you, I don't question for a second. I do believe that they believe. I do believe they are mm-hmm. believers. I, I don't I don't question that and and I um and, and and the reconciliation of it is what I think it behooves all of us to understand. I mean, you know, we just got through with the Roy Moore campaign right. and you know, he still got forty eight plus percent of the vote and there is
1: and and 180% of white evangelicals in it, Alabama.
0: <laughs> yeah, so so the it, it, you know if you know for the future of this country it is imperative I think um to understand. I think you are you're going deep into one of the most important if not well one of the most important certainly questions about what's going on in our society and to, and to understand that urgency um is key. Is forgiveness a, 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 a component of it. I mean, we, you know, mm-hmm. forgiveness is such a central tenet of many faiths. And, and, you know, I wonder what percentage of it is, well, we have a champion. What percentage of it is, well, there is forgiveness waiting for all of us. And, uh, maybe we can, you know, help, uh, maybe he can help us and, and we can
1: help him on the path to forgiveness. Did, did that come up? That, that did, That's an important point. So uh, first, let me talk about Alabama for a second, because this is where I found that most evident, which I found really interesting. I wrote a follow-up piece uh, in the kind of days leading up to the Alabama election, um, where I talked about... I, I went and read a lot of the quotes that um, conservative Christian voters had given in support of and, and in defense of Roy Moore amid these allegations of sexual abuse. And... A lot of them said things like, you know, we're Christians. We believe in second chances. This happened decades ago, and uh, and he's a better man now, and that's great. You know, um, they've said the same thing about Donald Trump, right? That uh, yeah, maybe he was a he was a bad guy, or maybe he did some bad things, and you know that access Hollywood tape is is really gross, and the stuff he said I would never defend, but you know now now look at him he must he must have gotten better and we can forgive him now I, my my problem with that as a christian <laughs> personally is that for, absolutely forgiveness is something that, you know, that's essential to Christian theology, but there has to be some repentance, right? There has to be some contrition. And in both the cases of Roy Moore and Donald Trump, there is, there's, it's not only a lack of contrition, the lack of contrition is central to their, their personas, right? Roy Moore just dismissed all these accusations as fake news and a conspiracy by the political establishment to take him down. Donald Trump famously said that he has never asked God for forgiveness. Uh, which is kind of a central component of of Christianity, um, but but you know there's also uh, there's also this idea among some of the religious right leaders who I interviewed for this profile of Mike Pence, who when you I it didn't I didn't get that much of it into the piece, but some of them when you talk to them. Um, they will say that, you know, part of the reason that I, I took I, – I was willing to become part of this president's evangelical advisory board is that I want to teach him more about Christianity. I want to teach him more about the Bible. I want to, uh, you know, bring him closer to God. A lot of save, these people save are his soul, as save their occupation. It, yeah, exactly. Save his soul, I mean, it, they they want to save him now. I you can you can argue about how like preposterous that that mission is, but they they certainly see that as a possibility, and so the, that is definitely a, a factor here.
0: Uh, McKay, God didn't talk to you for this piece. Did Mike Pence?
1: <laughs> no, he he did not either. I got turned down on both fronts. Mike Pence actually it was interesting. I was told that. He has a very strict no profile policy um, and the the speculation and among people in the White House and close to the White House is the reason for that is that he doesn't want to uh, give the president, the number one guy, the boss, uh, the impression that he's trying to, to, you know, distract attention away from the president, who's obviously, this president is very attuned to that. So no, he doesn't do profiles, uh, but I did, you know, interview dozens of people who have, uh, known Pence over the years uh, both well before he was ever in politics and and more recently so that 's what the piece is based on yeah
0: that 's that's, uh, that's what I thought what about we 've read about um, and he has denied it um, you know what I might call his his just in case folder, just in case things do go south for uh, mm. President Trump. Um, you know, he's got a, a pack, or there were reports that he had a pack. There's reports that he, you know, is is in the back wings, uh, you know, thinking about it or, or doing whatever. He denies it. Um, obviously, uh, long time ties to the Koch brothers. Um, mm. Does he does he have a just in case folder?
1: Well, yeah, they would deny it. Uh, certainly. But I will tell you that people who are loyal to Trump, but people in Trump's orbit who are loyal to this president are concerned about that. They're concerned that at some critical juncture in, you know, the not too distant future, it could be, uh, you know, next year as the as the Mueller investigation proceeds or or it could be later. Um that, that Pence is, is going to undermine the president in some crucial way, or that he won't be there when Trump really needs him, right? Um, and, and part of the reason is, I, I report this in the piece, that during the campaign, uh, Pence was you know unfailingly loyal and submissive and deferential to Trump. At all times, except for at the moment when the campaign was, you know, in its most dire state of crisis, which was in the 48 hours after the Access Hollywood tape came out at that moment when they really could have used Mike Pence out there, you know, defending him and and uh, and assuring conservative christian voters that and you know the republican establishment that that trump was was should continue on as the nominee pence uh, kind of went mia he uh canceled an, a political event that he was supposed to appear at a republican unity event yep. um he reportedly sent a letter to uh trump saying he needed time to assess whether he could stay on the ticket and i report that um that he actually made it clear to the Republican National Committee that he was ready to take Trump's place as the party's nominee, um, which, by the way, he denies. But uh, I had told that by several uh, several Republicans familiar with the situation. So that, that suggests that there may be a, a limit to his loyalty.
0: If we are ever to consider, you know, Mike Pence for president, whether that's that he runs at some point or something happens, um, you know, that that puts him up there sooner. How would he how do you think he would answer um, which comes first for him, God or country?
1: He would say God. Uh, In fact, one of the things that he always says is that uh, that he's a Christian, a conservative and a Republican in that order. Um, and, and he would absolutely say that, you know, God is, is more important than anything and his Christian ideals are more important than anything. Whether he has behaved in that way is an open question and certainly up for debate, but that, that is, those are his ideals and his beliefs.
0: And, uh, um, just to finish out, McKay, cause I know, uh, we're, we're running tight on time. Um, tell me about you, uh, you, you surely do not recall. You and I actually met for about, uh, uh, two minutes. It was, you know, five years ago. I was with Tegan and we met in, uh, Washington Union Station. We, we just happened to, to <laughs> oh, be there. Right. And I, I
1: actually do remember do. that. I was just thinking about that before I came on. I remember, uh, seeing Tegan. I, I think I had just gotten in from New York. From some, uh, and yeah. I think I met you guys. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah, we get it at a coffee shop or or something. We, we were right there. So right. so um, but but you know aside from that really deep meaningful conversation <laughs> we had as as you were like great to see you guys but I got to go um, it, it, just quickly you know I mean I, I learned a little bit about your background um, and you you know you mentioned your your faith in this conversation and that's you've talked about that you've written about it um, uh, and also uh, you know the, the 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 credit that and recognition that you got while you were. Buzzfeed um, how, how did you get into uh, the whole reporting thing? Just tell me a little bit about you
1: sure, yeah, no I, well, I started out uh, wanting to be a reporter, I think when I was in like ninth grade, so i 'm one of those people who <laughs> one of those people the, the call the call to journalism very early. Um, I was you know, worked in my high school newspaper, wrote a column for my local uh, newspaper in Massachusetts. Um, and I went to BYU. I'm a Mormon. I went to Brigham Young University, studied journalism there, uh, and and uh, and yeah, it's funny. So I I went to work for Newsweek. I got an internship that turned into a job at Newsweek, and uh, and really wanted to cover the Romney campaign because obviously this is a tremendous interest to me as a as a Mormon, not necessarily a rooting interest. Just I was very you know interested and curious about this that kind of moment, um, and. BuzzFeed had Politico to go to BuzzFeed and was looking for a few young reporters. And uh, we met, I remember, in the basement of the Grand Central Station um, in New York and uh, did like a, you know, a cursory like 15 minute interview. And and he offered me a job after that. Um, And so, yeah, I covered the Romney campaign all through 2012. I was the only Mormon uh, reporter on the Romney bus and wrote about that later. But uh, yeah, I've, I've always kind of been interested in in the intersection of faith and politics, for that reason, I know i 'm not the only one who writes about that, but it's it 's something that um, has been i think is essential to understanding how politics, especially conservative politics, but actually no increasingly democratic politics too uh it, how 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 it functions and it 's also just important to our culture and to our our country to understand that so that's often been kind of where the stories i gravitate to
0: well it it really is and this piece was was excellent and i do hope i know you will continue i mean you'll you'll have to you are you are absolutely on to something and yes i think you're you're in on a vein that that really is um one of the key defining issues for you know and and a, a really tough issue, um, for our time and, uh, trying to understand some of the, uh, divide in our country. Um, I think that your reporting could really, uh, you know, help shed some light on that and some understanding. So, um, we'll find out about God's plan. I appreciate for, that. Thank yeah, you. Well, yeah. Well, thank you. Um, listen, thank you for your time. I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, I would, uh, absolutely look forward to talking with you again.
1: Yeah. Anytime. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: That was my conversation with McKay Coppins. What a thoughtful guy. I hope he does a lot more reporting on this topic. Go check out his piece in The Atlantic. My thanks to McKay for the conversation and to you for listening. I'm Chris Reback. I'll talk with you again soon.